I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Special music sound effects fireworks it's the week side podcast uh, super bowl edition connor Orr alongside si senior writer jenny Ventus, who was down in tampa bay for the game so a uh, lot of questions for jenny here before we get into a little bit of the game a little bit of the off season and uh, what's going to happen next for uh, for everyone involved and uh, so yeah i'm gonna i'm just gonna kick it to you jenny i mean this was a super bowl like no other i remember Many Super Bowls in the past where you and I would be scouring media days. We talked about being at these interview sessions during the week, running around to all these different events. Uh, Not so. Uh, I know that you left on Friday before the game, much like the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, and went down there for a brief kind of 72-hour period. What was that like? And uh, I heard you had, uh, you know, firsthand experience at just how kind of bonkers the city of Tampa Bay went after that Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely, Connor. And you're right. I was thinking about that a lot how normally we have the Super Bowl week where we're rushing around to availabilities you see your coworkers a lot you talk about stories um, other topics and it was just the strange Super Bowl week for everybody for the team certainly because Tampa Bay was at home the Chiefs didn't come to Tampa until the Saturday before the game and yeah I flew down Friday before didn't really go anywhere until the game uh, Greg Bishop and I took a walk to past the scene at Tom Brady's house just to see if there were people taking uh, you know a little uh, expedition to uh, get photos in front of Brady's rented house. <laughs> we encountered a few. There was also a Tampa police officer there who said he was there at the behest of the homeowners who had asked for extra security leading up to the game. Mm. He had an eight to eight shift. Um, so you can debate whether or not that was a good use of public resources. Interesting. But, um, yeah, people uh, in Patriots gear taking photos. Uh, I, this police officer outside the house, Connor, though, I have to say, he was he was really a good character. Like, he was kind of like, I can't believe there are people making a pilgrimage to the house. Like, one of the neighbors walked by with the, their dogs, and they said, oh, everyone wants to catch a glimpse. And he said, you can find a real nice picture online, which I thought was pretty <laughs> hilarious. Um, but yeah, other than that, and then I just went to the, the game on Sunday night, 
And before I went down to Tampa, Connor had done some in- interviews with people who were already down there or, you know, from the Bucks. And everyone said, it's going to be a different <laughs> world when you get there. When I said I was coming down from New York. And uh, it really was. I mean, you can certainly see the regional handling of the pandemic is very different. Um, I went in to pick up a dinner uh, to get some food and walked in and, you know, it was kind of an open air restaurant, but still the bar was packed and with people and that made me a little bit nervous. Um, And after the game, so cover the game, all the interviews are via Zoom in the press box, press box set up, you know, everyone was socially distanced you know, close to six feet apart from the person next to you, plexiglass between the rows and things like that. You do the Zoom interviews. I I left the stadium to catch the midnight shuttle and we sat there for a while and finally they come on the bus and they say that we, we were waiting because traffic was so jammed up. And we could see why, because when we went downtown, there was a stretch of bars in downtown Tampa and people in the streets, cars honking, uh, just like very large crowds of people celebrating the Bucks win. And, you know, the NFL held some games with fans at some stadiums during the season and said they didn't see any evidence of spread. But this was a situation where you have a big event. There's people who are traveling to and from the game. Um, there were a lot of people who had traveled in for the game, and and I was one of them. I was there for work, but there were a lot of people who traveled in for the game, whether they had tickets or not. And it would be fair to say that there was a lot of revelry that took place in public spaces, often in large crowds, um, that was, would not be what I would consider the safest approach to things. So it will be interesting in the coming days, Connor, to see if there's, you know, any kind of fallout from that, although it's impossible in a lot of cases to trace these things. So the police officer thing was one of my favorite parts of the Super Bowl game story that Jenny and Greg did together. I would highly suggest that anybody with uh, clicking distance within clicking distance of si.com go in there and check it out and also the commemorative issue should be um on shelves by the time that you guys hear this podcast it's uh, featured in there rightfully so and always one of my favorite parts of the week after the super bowl is to is to watch what uh these two come up with and it, it's it's the best i don't think there's any other way to recap the super bowl as broadly and theatrically as they do and so um i would point everybody uh towards that and and definitely to give it a read um but yeah i mean i don't know what was uh, you know one of my favorite parts selfishly of being at the Super Bowl every year, like I remember every halftime show vaguely uh, pretty well. Um, And this was the first one in a while that I saw from home, like all that stuff. I mean, with the lack of general fan, um, I mean, there's 25,000 fans there, but the lack of that oomph from the crowd, the the scene outside, did it feel weird at all? Like being there, did it feel like a different uh, environment? It still felt like they were there were a lot of people, Connor, I have mm-hmm. to say. Even mm-hmm. though there were more cardboard cutouts in the stands than people. So there were about 30,000 cardboard cutouts and 25,000 fans, I think, including the 7,500 vaccinated healthcare workers. But if you looked in the stands, it looked pretty full. And while the crowd noise was far from overwhelming, um, it did seem like more of a pro-Tampa Bay crowd, as you might expect. I mean... When Tampa Bay would make a big play, there were a lot of cheers in the crowd. And while the Chiefs didn't have a ton of big plays, um, you the noise supporting Kansas City was was not quite the same. They did have the uh, tomahawk chant piped in at one point, which was a mm. odd 
choice on a lot of levels, uh, most notably because, you know, Native American groups have pushed back against the use of the tomahawk chant uh, as part of the ongoing push against the use of imagery and masketry and, um, you know, Native American uh, things that are part of the Native American culture and, and on sports teams. So that was interesting. But um, yeah, I was, uh, it felt a little bit more full than it might have seemed going in. And as for the halftime show, Connor, so my take on halftime shows is obvious, is always this, that if you happen to have a seat in the press box, which I've sat various places at Super Bowls, sometimes outside in the ox box, which is in the stands, sometimes in the press box. If you're in the press box and it's a closed press box, it's very hard to experience the halftime show. You can see the lights and sometimes the shows nowadays have cool light shows and such. But even last year's Super Bowl, which was like, which I really enjoyed the replay of in person, it was hard to sort of experience and appreciate. This year's halftime show, obviously more constraints. And they had the weekend kind of performing in this setup on a platform above the end zone, which was next to the pirate ship. But uh, I was just having a little bit of a hard time following because of the location of where he was. The screen behind him had a video of the same song with like different performances and then just being behind the glass, Cotter. So I didn't feel like I fully experienced it. I never feel like if I happen to be in the press box, I can never come away with like a good takeaway on if I enjoy the halftime show or not. That's fair. The only one that I've seen outdoors in the stands was Giants Patriots. Um, the second one, um, which was Madonna, uh, which I really loved. I thought that was a really good uh, halftime show. Um, but I think you're right. The rest of them have been somewhat in the ox box for um, this one. Also uh, different. Uh, you know, I found out who the weekend was, so that was good. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that he was the one that sang the uh, I can't feel my face when I'm with you. That was a good one. So I was happy that that was a part of the halftime show. It was a pleasant surprise. So You and Greg both. Greg and I had a little Google Doc that we were typing game notes in. And at halftime, it was like, did you know who The weekend was? And did you know that his name doesn't have an E in it? And I was like, Greg, how did you not know this? I had but- no idea. And I this was like um, when I think it was super, the 2013 Super Bowl when we were in New York. And Lady Antebellum might have sang the national anthem. And I said, oh, there's three of them. Like, which one is... Which one is Lady Antebellum, you know? But uh, apparently it's just the name of the band, so I don't know. (laughs) Lots of cultural education going on. But listen, far be it for me to ever criticize anyone for their lack of pop culture knowledge because we all know I'm seriously deficient in that area. Did you at least watch a movie on the flight home? Like, you know, just... just kind of make a dent chip a dent into this you know it just you know you had a you had great work behind you you should have rewarded yourself with like a a motion picture on the flight home i actually i slept on the flight home but connor you're right i'm going to look into some movies in the coming weeks that i haven't seen i did make some strides over christmas break i watched the family stone i watched casablanca i watched sabrina and i watched the graduates so you know i'm really I'm working on it. Is all I have to say. Wow, that's that's great. Pretty uh, good, right? Yeah, Pretty we might good. do maybe we'll do a Casablanca pod at some point. I think uh, I think people would like that. Um, great movie, great movie, uh, excellent. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's hop in, and uh, I'll read the first topic here, um, and let's jump in. Uh, Tom Brady won his millionth Super Bowl this past weekend, making him the most famous person ever. Blah 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 blah. Um, in all seriousness, though, this run has been uh, pretty remarkable, and he told the world after winning the MVP that he is not done yet. 
what can you say, Jenny, about Tom Brady at this point that hasn't already been said? And again, I'll point people towards your and Greg's story, which I think did a great job of getting into that mindset and illustrating some of his thought processes there. But I, I don't know. I mean, what, what more is there to be said at this point about Tom Brady? Yeah, and Greg did a lot of really fantastic reporting on Tom Brady because he's done the Super Bowl game story for the last seven years. And so a lot of those have involved Brady. So he just had this wealth of information, including the final anecdote, um, which I won't share on the podcast, but people should read. I, I had zero to do with writing or reporting it. My only contribution was that it should go at the end of the story because it really sealed um, mm-hmm. sealed where things were. But um it, it was interesting that things came together so quickly in Tampa, Connor. And even Bruce Arians said that he did not think this would be their Super Bowl year. He thought this would be the year when everyone would get on the same page and that next year would be the year. And that was what you and I discussed. I mean, when I had my horrible cold take this summer that the Bucks wouldn't make the playoffs, it was for that reason that it's very hard to get on the same page and recreate the success in a year when there wasn't an offseason program. And that was how Arians felt as late as November. And they had this November slide where they lost three of four games. And he and Tom had kind of this come to Jesus conversation where they got on the phone. They were supposed to go play golf. And instead, uh, they were not able to because of the league's coronavirus protocols. So they got on the phone for over an hour. It was their weekly conversation, but this was their longest one. And they basically decided a path forward to meld their offenses. Because you and I talked about it at the time, Connor, there were all these bat signals going out for Brady's camp. Maybe Arians isn't the right coach. He's not maximizing his quarterback. This scheme isn't accurate. And those were legitimate. Like those were legitimate concerns until they had this conversation and figured out a way to not necessarily concede, but at least come together. And then from that point on, they went on this run. And I think the last seven games of the season never scored less than 30 points and they really figured it out. But the idea was melding this no risk it, no biscuit Arians philosophy that is asking Brady to take deep chances with the approach he had in New England, uh, which was there were always high-low reads, and you could go longer, but there was always someone coming across the middle of the field that you could get the ball out too quickly for smaller gain, but to keep the ball moving, which we saw Brady do so well. And uh, Arian said in the second half of that first Atlanta game where they came back after a terrible first half, um, that was really when things started to come together. It's a remarkable to me. And, I, you know, you're not alone in the cold take um, stratosphere there. I was frantically trying to find and delete any of the millions of references I made to the fact that Tampa Bay was blowing up a promising young roster just to become relevant with a, an aging quarterback. Whoops. Sorry about that. Uh, so uh, I missed on that one. But, <clears throat> yeah, I, I just um, it's an interesting place to be because you've already you've won the game, you've defeated the sport, you've defied everybody's expectations, you've broken out of the chicken or the egg argument um, that you're a product of uh, the New England Patriots system and that you wouldn't be able to do anything on your own. All this stuff, um, and, and now it's just we're waiting to see how somebody decides it's basically how many more pages are you going to add to the to the record book how much more distance are you going to add between yourself and somebody who's going to try to come around you know i, I mean w- 
there's a good chance that we don't see this again in our lifetime. I mean, you know, that somebody's mastery of the game to this level uh, is is just stunning, you know. And I'm I'm really interested to see what his desire is to keep going because at this point I'm I'm I've never been a Brady doubter, obviously, but at this you know maybe I'm just kind of tired of of Brady. But at this point, there is no more doubting. I mean, he is he's erased any valid criticism of his on-field performance yeah and it's interesting too because the older you get obviously the harder it gets and I talked to Wayne Gretzky the great one about who he believes is the greatest one which is Brady and he's he said that he might have played another year or two if he could just kind of go from one season into the next and not have to go through all of the off-season preparation of recovery and then building your body back up he said that just got so much harder. It you know doubles in time the older you get. And so that is what has been pretty remarkable about Brady is that he's willing to do that. And yeah, I mean, he just evidently likes the process. He likes the game and he said he'll be back. You know, Arians also said, I, I asked him, what do you think Tom is playing for at this point? And he said, Tom is playing for his teammates right now. He wants those guys to experience what he's experienced six times. I think personally, too, he's making a statement. It wasn't all Coach Belichick. Uh, He said that a few days before the game, and then obviously it worked out. Um, I do think the conversation there is a little bit, you know, Brady goes to Tampa and he's building off of the reputation and success that he had in New England. So when you talk about Arian's, Um, Arians has talked about Brady instilling a belief in that roster. A lot of that comes from the fact that he's done it so many times. And he did that in New England. And it kind of comes to mind to a conversation that I had with Ellis Hobbs uh, um, for this story about the Patriots who played in those gap years. They played with Brady and Belichick but never won a championship. Ellis Hobbs was on that 07 team. And he said, you know, Tom is still at the pinnacle of his career, and that comes with a mindset, his daily preparation. But that didn't just happen in Tampa. That happened in New England. And so he was able to bring that from New England to Tampa. So that's why I think that Brady and Belichick are forever tied, should be forever tied. I think it's very hard to parse out who is more responsible and who's not. But obviously, Tom has this desire to continue and to – he did it somewhere else, and he – clearly wants to do it somewhere else again. And I agree with you. I don't think we'll ever see this again in, in an athlete in a team sport, right? I mean, it's hard to compare across sports. It's hard to compare to individual sports, someone like Serena Williams, who has had unprecedented greatness. Um, so, you know, but speaking of football, speaking of Brady, speaking of a team sport, I don't think we'll ever see that again. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You've always, I think, had the... Um as, as one reader called you the conscience of the program. Uh, and I think you've always had the right attitude in terms of Brady and that we have to observe this as chroniclers of history and to view it as such that we're never going to see this again. And it's, it's important to appreciate that. And I do think that there is a, an aspect of that, that the older I get, the more you have to admire somebody like that and their commitment to the daily grind. I mean, 
you know, just during the pandemic, for example, how many of us have tried to turn over new leaves, right? And to do something better for ourselves during the pandemic to make this time better and how difficult it is to form a habit, right? And you look at this guy who has established habit after habit after habit that leads him to this incredible athletic lifestyle. And you really do have to appreciate something like that. And maybe, maybe it's like, the older that you get, um, the easier it is to understand how difficult that really is. Yeah, that's really well said, Connor. All right, shall we go into the next topic? Let's do it. This game was surprising on a lot of levels. People didn't love the weekend. We talked a lot about oat milk, but there was some on-field stuff too that was noteworthy. What was your biggest surprise of the evening? Okay. Are you you aware of the oat milk thing? I am. Totally unaware of the oat milk thing. Whoa. Please, please explain. What oh, did I good. miss? Good, 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 good. Um, okay, so the oat milk um, thing was just like I, they bought a spot, Oatly, the oat milk company, um, bought a spot in the Super Bowl, and their commercial was just a man in a field singing about how there are no cows involved in the process. Um, so let me... Uh, uh, the the song was like something about no cows or something like that. Um, and then they went on to sell uh, uh, shirts that said, I totally hated the Oatly commercial, which sold out in five minutes. And so Oatly was sort of the big winner. Okay. Um, wow, no cow was like the, you know, yeah. So just sort of a man in a field saying like, oh, wow, no cow involved in the making of the milk. So so let me get this straight. They made a commercial that was bad and then they sold a, com- a t-shirt mocking the commercial. I Did- totally hated that Oatly commercial, yeah. Okay, so they knowingly made a commercial that Correct. was bad to raise the awareness and also fill their coffers. Correct, yeah. Interesting. Um, so you, you hate to you hate to chalk up a, a win for some evil business person somewhere. Um, although I guess oat milk is hard to hate, although it's probably some part of some giant corporate conglomerate somewhere that's unfairly like benefiting. Yes, that's unfairly <laughs> benefiting off this. But um, anyway, while you were hard at work uh, in the press box, there was a lot of feverish conversation about oat milk going on throughout the rest of the world. So there you go. All right. Interesting. Well, thank you for bringing me up to speed. Um, So beyond the oat milk, which is actually delightful, I am an oat milk uh, enthusiast. But um, what was your biggest surprise of the evening, Connor? So I went back and I watched the second half of this game. Well, I watched the entire game over again, um, obviously. Um, But I watched the second half with particular interest in... uh, trying to see what Andy Reid had done once he realized that Tampa Bay in Todd Bowles' defense was just wrecking them um, with standard four-man pressure. So what are you doing to help your uh, tackles who are really having a tough game? And I would argue that actually you know, a lot of the Chiefs' offensive line was having a hard game. It wasn't just Remmers and Wiley. Um, but So I rewatched the second half, watched every Chiefs snap, and here are the only things that Reid did. Um, to help out his offensive line. There were five plays where the wide receiver started his route by chipping either Pierre Paul or or Shaq Barrett. Like they just kind of gave him a shove and then went on with the route. There was one instance where the running back stayed in the backfield to help with pass protection one usage of an additional tight end as a blocker and then three times that they did some really kind of wacky pre-snap motion that I guess you could argue in some way, shape or form probably helps 
push the pass rush back a little bit because they're not sure if they have to contain on a big sweep or anything like that. But that is not a lot of help, I think, for your offensive line, A. And B, almost every time they had an additional tight end in the game, throughout the game, he was running. He was just running routes. He wasn't helping in pass protection. Um, they ran a running play where they actually ran away from an additional blocker. So I, I, a lot of that I did not understand. The offensive line usage, deployment, and help. And Next Gen Stats had a great stat that they only used five-man protection on 92% of their snaps, which is the third highest rate of five-man protection since they started tracking the statistic back in 2016, wow. which is wild to me. That's, like, that's a nuts. crazy stat. Also, your work showing what Andy Reid did or, or didn't do to combat the pressure is really interesting. You know, it's funny. I was As I was watching the game play out, I was thinking I had talked to Brett Veach a week earlier, and he had said something that in retrospect, I was like, kind of like, huh, they seem very unconcerned about this. And he said, you know, if we if you'd have told me that we would be preparing for a Super Bowl, but you wouldn't have Mitchell Schwartz, Eric Fisher, Kalecchi Osemele gets hurt, Tardif opt out, opts out, and then a younger linebacker, Lucas Niang, that they drafted to be sixth lineman potential starter, he opted out. And I remember thinking, like, okay, yeah, that is impressive you got to this point. But now seeing how the game unfolded, like, they probably should have had some more concerns about going into the Super Bowl that depleted on the line, especially against that front. I mean, obviously they were concerned about it, but as you described, Connor, um, that didn't play out in the game plan. Yeah, it's like why... And unless the only thing I can think of is that Todd Bowles did have run that too high defense the entire second half, basically, and didn't didn't blitz. And so if you read like, do you just keep telling yourself, okay, I need more receivers out there like I need more available pass catchers and Patrick is going to make it happen and I just need points and I can't. I can't go conservative and hold guys in at the line. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of is that, you know, from his perspective, they're seeing a, a, that that too high um, defense that, that you know, allows Patrick Mahomes the intermediate range completions. And, and, and so he's thinking, okay, well, Patrick should be getting the ball out faster. And this is what the defense is giving him. And, and maybe this will just all work itself out. But how do you not adjust? And I guess the adjustment was the package where you're starting to bring receivers in to chip on the offensive lineman, but you only use that five times. And uh, I don't know. The entire thing was was weird to me. And I guess it seemed more, the pressure seemed worse than it probably actually was. But it's it, anecdotally, just watching it the first time through, you were like, oh my gosh, he's constantly on the run. There wasn't a single snap where he wasn't under duress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was basically like their whole offense was Mahomes making things off work, work off schedule on the fly, on the run. If they didn't have a quarterback like Mahomes, they might not have scored any points. I mean, he was basically just willing the team to move the ball at all. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just watching it unfold. I mean, we talked about this last week on the show, Connor, that we were concerned about both tackles being out. Um, but felt like, you know, the Chiefs would have some ability to overcome that just because how good they are at scheming things up and how good Mahomes is. But it was more overwhelming than perhaps you might have even expected. Yeah. What was your uh, what was your biggest surprise? So Vita Vea lining up as fullback on the yeah. goal line series. 
I know they've done it a handful of times, and I believe he was like a dominant running back in high school. Um, as I Google this, as it was happening, I, th- that came up. But he'd been hurt for a lot of the year. He had the fractured ankle. He returned for the NFC Championship game. So in light of that, I would not have expected him to like be out there for the goal line series. And there he was. And you know, obviously that goal line series didn't work out for the Bucks. But I don't know. It was just a, an example of this player. I mean, he had a great game on defense really was a one of the standouts and uh there he is on offense too lining up at fullback this very physical very um you know very big blocker that c- could potentially make things work on the goal line he blew my mind uh during the second watch of that game uh you know he was lining up at as an edge rusher at, at certain points when they wanted to bump Jason Pierre Paul to get him down on a guard and mm-hmm. holy smokes like that guy can move and he's gigantic and i guess yeah. i guess we knew that right i mean that that's a lot of the discussion about him coming out in the draft and i'm sure we had heard that or internalized that somewhere and i'm sure that there's a million buccaneers fans who are like yeah hey we've we we could have told you guys this a while ago but sometimes that stuff manifests itself in a big game and everybody sees it and all of a sudden you're like whoa I, I can't believe how athletic he was and yeah that was uh that was so much fun to watch just uh you know that was the kind of the Arians flair that you would expect you know the the Tom Brady offense is not the most aesthetically pleasing but then you get like the the tackle throw to um that was unsuccessful um Vita Vea at fullback like there was some fun elements of that offense as well. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right about Vita Vea. It's, you know, we heard that when he was drafted in the first round in 2018, but when teams aren't in the postseason, you don't often get these moments that everyone can see all at once together. And that was what we had with Vita Vea in the Super Bowl. And, you know, he he made it back. If the team hadn't had this long postseason run, he might not have made it back. Uh, he, he returned for the NFC Championship game after what was a, a painful injury earlier in the season. And so, yeah, but yeah, didn't expect him. And uh, as you mentioned, Connor, it's just kind of an aesthetically funny sight to see a 347-pound guy lined up in the backfield. I also really was happy for Haig, the offensive lineman that got the that dropped the well he didn't drop it I mean you know it's hard to expect a guy like that to make a contested catch in the end zone right but right, I was right. really really happy for him that they didn't lose by like six points um, uh, you know because yeah. I you know as soon as that happened I was like oh no you know because it's it's not I don't know I, I could a receiver can stomach a drop like that but if you're that guy it's different but I'm, I'm happy for him too I hope he uh hope he enjoyed his Super Bowl experience Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
All right. Uh, news topic number three. Speaking of the Chiefs, they are not going to be picked apart really in free agency. All their coordinators are going to be back, uh, largely intact coming into next season. The question uh, really is whether or not anything about this team fundamentally changes at all. I mean, so, Jenny, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball and tell me a little bit about the Chiefs over the next few months or so. Do they still Are they still on track to be this baby dynasty that we've talked about? Yeah, and you're exactly right, Connor. I mean, the core is back. And when Mahomes signed his contract extension last year, it was with the team's flexibility in mind. That was paramount that they could still build a team around him. And as a result of that, and uh, Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey, both willing to build in some flexibility into their contracts too. They have a lot of guys together looking forward. Uh, I think the the biggest question for the Chiefs this offseason has nothing to do with kind of what's next for the dynasty, but it's really, you know, what's next for for Andy Reid and his family. And we see uh, a couple of days yeah. before the Super Bowl this tragedy um multiple car crash uh the the team says Britt reed was involved um local news reports say that he admitted he was the driver um and admitted to having a handful of drinks as well as being on prescription adderall and the police say they're investigating impairment and the there were two children in in the back seat of this car um everyone i think has probably read the reports now but just to address it right so a car runs out of gas calls a relative for help that relative arrives, they park in front of the other car, and then the car that uh, is believed to be Britt Reed's car then collides with both of them, and there were two small kids in the back seat of the second car that arrives to help, uh, and the five-year-old is still in critical condition um, as of today. And so uh, there are just a lot of questions the Chiefs are going to have to confront. Um, no charges have been brought yet, but that's something that, you know, We'll keep our eye out for the next couple of weeks and months. But uh, what was going on inside the facility? Um, how did this moment um, perhaps contribute to whatever took place that night? Um, does Andy take some kind of hiatus to focus on family questions? I mean, there are a lot of uh, issues swirling in the air that need to be addressed for for the coach and his team. There's no doubt, and it's 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 one of those things that first and foremost, you just your heart breaks for this family, and you uh, you know you pray that everything is going to be okay. Um, but you really do wonder uh, if you're Andy Reid, um, just given your life to this point too. I mean, what would you? What's going to be the right decision for you to make in relation to? Um, coaching, you know, do you want to take some time away? Um, you know, do you feel like it's in the best interest of the team to have your son on the staff at this point? Um, you know, there's so many questions that need to be answered. And I know that, um, Andy was asked about it after the Super Bowl and said that uh, it had no impact on the game plan, which, again, is not something we're insinuating. It's just that, you know, he did answer that uh, the question in that way, um, but said that, it, I mean, you're a human being. And of course, th this is something that just shakes you to your core, um, you know, and it's it's going to be we don't know what's going to happen from here on out. I mean, just you, you, you pray for the girl. You hope that the girl is okay. Um, you hope that her family can find some comfort and peace during this time. And, and then you really have to wonder big picture what's going to happen moving forward, you know? 
Yeah, and there's a GoFundMe that's raised, I think at this point, over $300,000. Yeah. The kickoff, it was over 200000 So um, that is just, that's definitely, that's going to be foremost in, in their minds. And for Andy, it's his son, but it's also his employee. So that adds a different layer of um, questions, accountability, um, you know, things that are facing, you know, how the team handles it and how he personally handles it, right? Those are both questions because he's both the son and the employee, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so I have the same question to you um, for news topic number four, uh, but the Buccaneers are interesting in that it's a little bit different, right? Um, they have a loaded free agency class about to hit the market. Bruce Arians is going to be 69 years old next year, and while he said he's going to be coming back, um, you know, I think there's some, some some worthwhile things to be talking about about the transition and the future of that coaching staff. Um, do you think that the Buccaneers can get this to the point where they can just reload and come back to the Super Bowl next year. Well, listen, Connor, I got my bucks doubting out of my system in August. I'm done. I mean, I'm done. Although I will say, you know, similar to Arians, I thought 2021 might be the year. You know, I just didn't think it would come together this quickly. So in my defense, but... Listener Pete, see, this is the thing. We have an excuse. Bruce Arians said it too. Bruce Arians said it too. That's right. He didn't think this would be the Super Bowl year. So just have to put that out there. But um, yes, Chris Godwin and Shaquille Barrett both free agents can only franchise tag one of them so that is a huge decision but I do think a a big question is you know these players have been on rosters that haven't even made the postseason there was that 13 year playoffs drought for the Bucs are they now in a position where guys will take less to be here and I mean that was a big part of the Chiefs kind of keeping their team together for this year was saying we want contracts we want to be rewarded but we don't need to set a new benchmark at our position and we're willing to build in flexibility for the team etc etc so do people see that with the Bucs and then also how do you game out I mean it's different saying I want to be in Kansas City long term when Patrick Mahomes is at the beginning of his career how much longer do we see Tom being there? But, you know, he expects to play to 45, or that's what he's said on multiple occasions. So that would be two more seasons. I think Arians at this point, my understanding is committed to one more. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. That will be an interesting to see how perhaps for the first time in a long time that is factored into team building for the Bucks. Yeah, I, th- I think... I- I think just like New England, we're going to see a bunch of people totally bought in. And and this is the thing that um, with Belichick being there, uh, it was hard to see Brady's individual impact. And I'm admitting that I'm probably, I was probably the most skewed out of anybody there because I was the one running around pounding my chest and saying he went 11 and six with Matt Castle. He went four and oh with Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett, like, you know, get your uh, TB12 method avocado ice cream out of here. It doesn't mean anything, but that's not true. Uh, it's it, We've seen how he can go in and catalyze uh, a group of people, get them working towards a common goal, and I think you're totally right. I, I think he's already in recruiting mode. I think he's going to get these guys to take less money. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that we could see um, this roster largely intact and back for a, another run at this. Um, 
you know, the complicated thing, and I think you guys addressed it really well in your story, is where Antonio Brown fits into that. Um, he, it was hard to ignore the fact that he did score on Sunday, um, but this is a guy that has a pending civil trial uh, for for sexual assault that's, uh, that is slated to begin in December of next year. And so where does he fit into this? Uh, he was a key component of the team uh, down the stretch in kind of opening things up for that offense. And do you risk uh, all the other good things that you're building to try to stick him onto that offense for another year? And, uh, you know, is he the replacement pr- plan for Chris Godwin if you can't get Chris Godwin to come back? I mean, there's a, uh, some interesting kind of receiver questions on, on that end. Yeah, and we saw the Bucks go from Bruce Arians saying he's not a fit to them signing him midseason when they had a rash of injuries at the receiver position. Uh, and that was something I asked both Arians and Light about in the days leading up to the Super Bowl. And, you know, Arians said he saw re- more remorse than he'd ever seen before, but was also hanging his decision on the results of this civil case, which as we discussed earlier on the show, Connor, often doesn't yield a satisfying determination of guilt. Uh, There's very likely an out-of-court settlement. There's any number of resolutions. It's very different from a a criminal case. So, um, But based on the way that everyone on the team has talked about Brown um, in terms of not wanting to focus or shed light on what due diligence they did, give any indication of any work that he might have put in to earn this chance. And also Brady really going out of his way to praise him and saying that he deserves a lot of credit for the Super Bowl. Um, You know, it doesn't seem like they would be inclined to do anything but bring him back. And I I think I've said this all along, and I know that you have too, Connor, is that it was a problematic decision. It's still a problematic decision. And I think there are a lot of people who watched him scoring in the Super Bowl and felt not great about the the steps the Mm -hmm. Bucs take took in their team building this year. Um, yeah. There's also players like Leonard Fournette who um, came in this season after getting cut from the Jaguars. You know, he's someone that really had a, a resurgence this year. And um, that one was a, a storyline that was kind of neat to follow because he thought, you know, he'd never been rejected from a team before in his whole life and um, had this this great season for for the Bucks, or, you know, wasn't necessarily the production level he'd had he said he came from Jacksonville where I was the whole offense and now I'm just <laughs> one piece of the offense. Right. Um, but that was, you know, kind of a big part of all of these players coming together. And then he does have a big performance in the Super Bowl. Leonard Fournette is always going to be one of my favorite people. Um, we talked before the draft, the year that he was drafted, and I was doing a story on, uh, I was working at NFL Network at the time for, a, you know, what everybody was doing the night before the Super Bowl, like, or the night before the draft. Like, what what would you do? Like, you, you have time, you're obviously going to be nervous. Um, this was pre-COVID, so you could just be partying or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, my two favorite answers were Mitch Trubisky saying that he had some entourage to catch up on, which was a very Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> Uh, answer and Leonard Fournette who was uh, with his daughter and had a uh, big uh, um, door of the Explorer marathon uh, ahead of him and so awesome. and that was like one of those things where I was like you know what cool good for you Leonard that's Fournette. pretty cool everybody yeah. loves uh, door of the Explorer so uh, he mentioned his kids kind of in taking this other opportunity with Tampa after he got let go by the Jaguars you know he said I could have just said I was done and you know Brady texted him wanting him to come to Tampa Bay, but he said he took a few days just with his kids. They went to the park. They rode 
their bikes. I think he has three kids now and um, spent a little time with all of them that they he normally wouldn't in late August and early September. So it seems like they're a pretty big part of his career arc, Connor. Playoff Lenny. Good for him. Playoff Lenny. Yeah, that was that was I, I enjoyed seeing him score, especially, you know, uh, you know, he tweeted that. Uh, the news the day the Jaguars released him. And, you know, you could just tell that that was motivating him all season. Um, so, yeah. Can I throw, so uh, number five, topic number five is going to deal with spiciness. And I want you to read that in a second, but it's sort of a prelude to that. Let's assume we're just having uh, an entire spicy meal and this is the spicy appetizer. I just don't want to let this go undiscussed. Like Tyron Matthew and Tom Brady like got into a fight during the Super Bowl. Like yeah. that was crazy. Yeah, like, you know and, what? This is and he was yeah, mad at him. Brought it up. And then like what happened? Yeah, that was really bizarre because it happened right before halftime and then it just was that was kind of it, right? I, I I mean, it was like this, because of the point in the game when it happened, Connor, and then everyone went their respective ways to kind of cool down, and there's a longer halftime period in the Super Bowl, but that was intense. Like, Brady chased him down, and then Matthew, there was a clip of him holding up three fingers and four fingers, and it was, some people were, insinuating that to mean that Brady would have lost four Super Bowls. I don't know what to make of the whole thing. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I saw that on Twitter. I mean, I think that was just a theory. Um, I just have to say, Connor, that there was a report from ESPN on Monday that Brady sent Matthew a text apologizing, and the report was written as ESPN was read the text, and I just was like, this is clearly coming from the Brady camp, that they want this out there so that people are could know that he apologized to Matthew. I just thought that was weird. Like the only two people that could have that text were Tom Brady and Tyron Matthew, right? Right. And if you are legitimately making an apology to somebody, I don't think you need to have that text read to the world. I don't think so either, which leads me to wonder, the crux of it was that Matthew said that Brady called him something that he didn't appreciate. Yeah. What on on earth could that be? You know, I don't know. Right. I mean, it's really interesting. There are a lot of unresolved questions here, Connor. And, um, you know, I think Matthew was also upset because Brady kind of chased him down and got him in his got in his face. But Matthew was the only one penalized. So you could see after that Spagnola was calming down Matthew on the sidelines and, and Brady was upset, too. But I think you're right, Connor. That is a really important missing piece of exactly what happened. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just add this, too, in in. in- with that included and that folded in the thing that I, and I hated writing it at the, at the time, but uh, you know, that was kind of what I wrote right after the game in the Super Bowl was that that team, the chiefs were so visibly defeated on so many different levels throughout that game and just uncomposed. And again, maybe Tyran Matthew had a complete and total excuse to be upset about what Tom Brady said. I'm not saying that at all, but like there were so many visible gestures of Mm -hmm. frustration defeat, um, just the lack of composure that was just so um, outside what we're used to from Kansas City, you know, Um, like Travis Kelsey just sitting there like shaking his head, you know, not sure how he dropped these balls. And, you know, uh, Remmers, there there was after one play that where it was just like, he almost looked like I'm just giving up. I did. There's nothing Mm -hmm. else I can do. And I've never seen that team with such a collection of these big, colorful superstars looking so outwardly defeated like that. 
Yeah, that's a great point, Connor. That really stood out. And maybe going back to the earlier question, you said what surprised you the most. Actually, that was what surprised me the most as well. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it was what surprised both of us the most. Um, Because when I think of the Chiefs, I think of how Patrick Mahomes is, which is he doesn't really get phased by much, right? You know, they've been down big in the playoffs before. They always figure out a way to come back. Nicole Hardman has that fumble um, in the previous game, and Matt Mahomes just kind of encourages him, like, hey, it's fine. Like, you know, you'll score a big one later, or we don't have to get it all back at once, he said last year in the Super Bowl. And so I just think that they always embody that. So they were really, you know, something kind of got them off of that. And, I mean, I think that there's – uh, a lot of factors at play. You know, you're you're flying in for the Super Bowl the day before the game. This was a long pandemic season. They also hadn't been in these tough situations very often this year. I, you know, they were uh, there were some games okay where they they weren't dominant or they had to come back from some kind of deficit, but it, it wasn't a team that you know, for instance, the Bucks went through that November rough spot, which they said fueled the run. Uh, the Chiefs didn't really have that. So, and then, you know, you do wonder not to liken a, a, a tragic event, not to put it on the same level as football, but I think it is fair to say that when this comes out about somebody who is a coach on the team and is the son of your head coach, um, that was such a, a tragedy to kind of wrap your head around, you know, it is not a stretch to say that that could have been uh, a f- on players' minds when they were playing the game on Sunday. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, it the whole thing was just stunning to me. And I, I wondered, like, we saw sh- the first year of Sean McVay and the Rams, and we thought that this offense is going to be unstoppable for years. And I think that it's different because it's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, right? There is a more established coach. It's a it's a more far more talented quarterback uh, from a tools perspective, but you you get cut down at the knees in the Super Bowl, right? And you get sized down, and it's a big thing to try to come back from. And I think that at least. At, to begin the year next year, yes, this team is still going to be very good. They're they're going to win the division. They're going to make the playoffs. But maybe that people aren't going to be as scared of the Chiefs as they once were. And, you know, I know it sounds dumb, right? It, because, you know, everybody said for years, the secret to beating Brady is getting getting after him. Well, okay, good luck trying to do that when he gets rid of the ball in 1.9 seconds and doesn't allow himself to be pressured. But uh, we could say that the secret to beating the Chiefs is out somewhat in that, you know, if you go after them like, the, like they did, uh, like Tampa Bay did, you just wonder if there's any sort of long-term repercussions for this game, like mm-hmm. in terms of just the Chiefs dynasty potential as a whole uh, you know have had showing their human side does that have a long-term impact or are they like the patriots where they just retool again and their quarterback is so good that they're back next year and everybody is no worse for the wear yeah i mean that's a really great question connor because we saw with the seahawks how a devastating super bowl loss has reverberated ever since essentially Mm -hmm. though I will say I feel like that was a different situation for a lot of reasons one was because it was this you know this singular play call that changed everything right where the Chiefs go go to this game and they kind of get trounced throughout both are difficult but they're just very 
different uh, outcomes in the game. And then I also think with the Seahawks, it's hard to keep a, a talented defense together because you need so many players at different positions. Whereas with the Chiefs, they as long as they have Mahomes, they have that ultimate weapon. And so, um, you know, the potential for longevity is a little bit different there. But yeah, I mean, the, the emotions of a letdown like this one, how, how long do they linger? And, and we see more often than not that they do linger with Super Bowl losers. Maybe Mahomes just wants to, uh, to quote an old uh, a co-worker of ours, maybe he just wants to see what Paris looks like in September. I don't know. You never know. It, the world is a crazy place. You know, <laughs> Will we have a Chiefs dynasty? Probably. Uh, that's not what we're insinuating. But uh, anyway, uh, all right. What do we have for number five? The level of spiciness this offseason might contain is unparalleled. What are you most looking forward to? There, there's a lot on the on the plate for this offseason. Uh, I'm going to pick a uh, kind of an underlying subcomponent of a lot of the big things that are going to happen. And this is going to be, I'm going to term this like anonymous character destroying wars between uh when watson leaves houston when wentz leaves philadelphia um when and and vice versa right and i think that anybody who who wants to understand how some of stories come to light i mean you know when players leave certain places teams will try to legitimize that maybe by leaking unsavory information about the player when the player leaves a place maybe leaking unsavory information about the team and where they're going and sometimes it becomes so uh hilariously transparent that uh, you can't help but laugh even though it is kind of a destructive practice but i am looking forward to that because i think there's going to be a lot of tea uh, i think i think jared goff still got some tea left in the kettle i think the rams still have some tea left in the kettle i think that there's uh you know some jimmy garoppolo tea that we have uh, we've yet to even start steeping uh you know there's going to be some unhappy people all over the place with high powered agents and friends in high places and i think it is going to lead to an unprecedented amount of kind of gooey slimy uh smear uh all, all over the offseason connor yes to everything you said i also agree that there is a lot of rams tea left and i think we can discuss this a little bit more on next week's show because we have a, a long offseason to get through and a lot of things to discuss but there has been zero explanation of what happened between the rams yeah. and Goff, and we need more on that Basically, my answer to the question was going to be a less creative version of what you just said. It's just uh, all of this quarterback movement is really unprecedented. And I know you had a, a piece on that that will be in uh, the upcoming issue of the magazine. But it just feels like anything is possible. Like anyone mm -hmm. can be on the move except Mahomes and Brady. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it just feels like everything's on the table this offseason. And that is really kind of just a thrilling possibility, especially because, you know, as we said on the podcast a couple of years ago, I think we had a whole conversation when we were doing the show about Albert Breer, about how all of the quarterback situations seem to be settled at the moment. So going from that snapshot in time to where we're at now, like there are just so many new possibilities. Right before we started recording this, Ian Rappaport on NFL Network had reported that Russell Wilson wanted a bigger say in personnel in Seattle um, and that 
while the Seahawks are adamant that they are not trading him, teams have started calling and asking about what it might cost. And I think the beautiful thing about what Deshaun Watson has done and what the Eagles might do with Carson Wentz is we're we're like we've got the pry bar and we're just yanking on the top of Pandora's box here. And I think that it is it, it's going to be great. I think it's going to be great um, because it's the best of what the NBA is doing with a better structure intact to ensure continued parity, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so I think that uh, we're going to have the excitement of player movement, um, and the only downside, really, are for the coaches and the owners and the general managers who are not used to the customer service side of this business, you know, and they're not used to making life good for their players. I know you've brought that up before, and I think it's an excellent point is like the only bad part about this is owners are going to have to stop treating their players like shit, you know, and that's awesome, you know. That's exactly right, Connor. I think this is a really exciting era and exciting off season for exactly what you said, because there's been this sense all along that this is just the way things are in the NFL, right? You know, you don't have input on personnel or if the owner does something, you have no recourse and players are changing that and shaking that up. And it's always good when the employees have more power, they have more rights, they work to make their workplace better. All for that. Love Spoken it. like a true unit chair <laughs> of, of, of the Sports Illustrated chapter of, of the Guild. Jenny, well done. Yes. So this is uh, lots of lots of worker power. I love it. <laughs> uh, I, for the piece, it was interesting. I talked to um, you know a former general manager uh, of, that we both covered, Mike Tannenbaum, um, who's now an analyst at ESPN. And he had introduced some interesting sort of uh, – backstory into this as we know Mike Tannenbaum was involved in the conversations for Peyton Manning um, he acquired Brett Favre so this is not uh, outside of his wheelhouse and he had said that he wouldn't be surprised if it popularizes the idea of repaying your signing bonus to your team and then you just obviously get that back on the opposite end from your new team oh, to eliminate some of the complications of the dead money and so that this really could change a lot of the flexibility of this like too, the salary cap doesn't look as rigid as it once did um but i asked him you're a general manager you're one of the three teams that doesn't have whatever rogers brady uh mahomes uh what are you doing and he said i'm calling nick casario and i'm not letting him hang up the phone until i have deshaun watson like i just refuse to let him hang up the phone and i think that that's how a lot of people are going to feel this offseason so another really interesting chapter in this as well yeah, that's great insight. I look forward to reading the piece when it comes out, Connor. All right. Uh, let's get to, and by the way, uh, I'm not always excited to hop into the Oracle, but I am feeling good this week. Froggy. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, and uh, now, granted, I think I picked three different scores for the Super Bowl. Uh, I did pick the Chiefs to win in some of those, but I think in two of the three, I picked the Buccaneers to win. I'm the only staffer on the MMQB who did pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in our official picks. And as everybody knows, those are the ones that you really do with your heart and you know, <laughs> you know, in your mind that that's what's going to happen. Um, uh, but not only that, my bold prediction for the game, Jenny, uh, which I posted on SI.com, was that it would be a perfect kicking game uh, and that all field goal kickers would make all of their field goals and extra points. And oh, so, wow. So we, we just nailed it. We're rolling into this offseason on a high note, feeling good about that. <laughs> um, and so I, I would say it. that. Yeah. Big day for the Oracle. 
big day for the Oracle. Feeling good. Um, so moving forward, I think the one thing that I'm interested in, and sometimes as an Oracle, it's not necessarily a prediction, but it's just something to look at. And I would say that what I'm fascinated in is what happens in New England now. Um, and I would say that I, I would just be interested in what the long-term sort of off-season conversations are like with someone like Josh McDaniels, where it seems like so many people are already leaving New England. Nick Casario is gone. Um, you know, Matt Patricia had left before for Detroit. And then McDaniels was heavily mentioned in the Eagles coaching search, but then ended up not becoming a factor there. And I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting thing is like, you know, what might happen, you know, when he, when he gets a chance to talk in the offseason? You know, what are his thoughts on the future? What are they doing at quarterback? And, you know, is Belichick keeping the remainder of this staff intact critical to what he's trying to do moving forward i know matt patricia is back in an advisory role he has some of the guys that he wants on defense uh calling that defense but you know what happens to you know when one of your big lieutenants kind of leaves one by one that seems to be the piece of the puzzle that's still holding everything together and i'm just kind of curious if we're going to get any good tea on that at some point this offseason yeah, I think what happens with the Patriots is really interesting, and I think there's a lot of people, including those who have played for the Patriots, who are really kind of hanging on every word coming out of there to see what Belichick does. How does he get back to winning? A lot of people who have gone through the Patriots do see it as this 1A, 1B between Brady and Belichick, and so they're expecting, well, what's Belichick's counter move? And don't really see last year as a representative sample size. A lot of players opted out. You know, it was the first year after losing the quarterback that won you six rings. Uh, so now this year, I think, is, is really going to be interesting to see where they go from here. I love that one. What about uh, my part of my uh, quarterback fan fiction has both Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett ending up back Ooh, in New England? Love it. Like that? Love it. Yeah. I think next week, Connor, we're going to just have to do a, a whole show on the quarterback movement. Yes. I think I'm totally down be with that. Worth it. Yes. All right. Let's go to uh, the reason why we're all here. The Ventus consensus, everyone's favorite part of the show. Uh, Jenny, what do you have for us this week? I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who's listened all season long. This was a, a strange season. It felt really long. It was trying. You and I were honest about our conflicted feelings about the league playing in a pandemic. Um, there are a lot of important issues that have come up in our world through 2020 and talking about those and getting a lot of support from listeners who wrote in with their own thoughts and own experiences. And I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who makes the Weekside podcast what it is. I mean, we, we love all the emails we get from listeners. Uh, I just forwarded you another one, Connor, from uh, another listener in uh, Switzerland, I believe it was. So we've just gotten a, a lot of support from from all of our listeners, and we really appreciate this being a, a weekly conversation we get to all have together. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, as much as we've talked about, you know, our, our difficulties with the NFL season, you know, you and I are, are human. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but, you know, the pandemic was was rough. I mean, you know, and it still is rough. And there are, you know, like everybody else out there, there are bad days and there are good days. But I think having this 
um, forum and the feedback that we've just been gotten, I mean, just from a human perspective, you know, has made a lot of this um, easier than I deserve, you know, so I, I very much appreciate everyone's feedback. And hopefully, you know, by doing this, by opening up um, our conversation, whether it's you can get get us at weeksidepod at gmail.com, you know, a lot of you guys have direct messaged us on Twitter, sent us messages um, in our mentions. Um, hopefully, we've been able to uh, give some of that back too, because I feel like I've taken much more than I gave this year from from our audience, and I really do appreciate that. And also the hard work from our producer Shelby, who not yes. only comes up with amazing sound effects, but really keeps the show together. It's very flexible with recording times, always has ideas, keeps us on track. So very grateful to Shelby for making the show happen. So indeed. All right. Well, the Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Rentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Moravik is the Emeritus Executive Director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our feed, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.